presence of youth was in his gaze. An air of invincibility wreathed him like a crown. He was a few months shy of sixteen, full of life, cocky and adventurous. Experience had not yet taught him humility. Hardship had not yet bred wisdom. Now, bringing his bay to a halt, he asked, "'Why'd you stop, Pa? I thought you wanted to reach those twin peaks yonder by sundown.' Nate King did not answer right away. The peaks to which his son referred were a good twenty miles to the southwest. Of more immediate interest to him were wispy gray tendrils wafting skyward less than a mile from the ridge. Nodding to them, he responded, "'When are you going to learn to always keep your eyes skinned, son? First things first. Zack flushed with embarrassment. No warrior worthy of the name would miss spotting that smoke. And above all else, more than anything he had ever yearned for, Zack desired to be a full-fledged Shoshone warrior. The youth had always been partial to his mother's people. Part of each year was spent living with them. Most accepted him for what he was, unlike many whites who tended to look down their noses at breeds. One day soon, Zack planned to take up with the Shoshones permanently, to have a fine lodge of his own, to be accorded a position of honor at tribal councils. These were his goals, his dream. At the moment, though, Zack mentally kicked himself and said, Utes, you reckon? Nate King would not hazard a guess. It might be, but he had made a point of fighting shy of Ute country. For more years than he cared to recollect, the Utes had tried their darndest to oust him from the remote valley his family called home. Recently, a fragile truce had been put into effect, but Nate knew there were plenty of warriors who would like nothing better than to count coup at his expense. Winona regarded the smoke anxiously. Should they run into anyone unfriendly, it would be partly her fault. After all, she was the one who had insisted the family needed to get away from their cabin after being cooped up most of the winter. She was the one who suggested they venture into new territory, that they go somewhere they had never been before. Here they were, eleven days out. So far as she knew, no white man had ever set foot there nor any Shoshones, for that matter. "'We should avoid them, husband,' Winona said in her flawless English. It was a great source of pride to her that she spoke the white man's tongue so well. She had a knack, as Nate would say. "'They might be hostile.' "'I agree.' Nate had no hankering to court trouble." The mountains teemed with savage beasts and even more brutal men, two-legged rabid wolves who would slaughter his loved ones without a moment's hesitation. Little Evelyn rose on her pony for a better look-see. "'What if they're nice folks, Ma?' she asked. Winona looked at her offspring and smiled. "'My sweet, darling blue flower,' she thought, using her daughter's Shoshone name. So young, so innocent. We cannot take the chance. 
But how do we ever get to meet new people if we don't take chances? Evelyn asked. Nate shifted in the saddle. It was the kind of question only a child would ask, only someone who believed the world was made of sugar and spice and everything nice. There's a time and a place for meeting new folks. This isn't it. Why not? Logic was no match for innocence, Nate decided. Rather than go into a long-winded spiel about the nature of the human race, he resorted to the one argument every parent could count on. Because I say so. Shucks, that's no reason, Pa. No, it wasn't. But Nate was not about to admit as much. Raining westward, he started down a steep slope, bordered on the right by Talus, and on the left by a tangled deadfall.